0: Welcome to Back in Session, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of all things state government, giving you an inside look at policies and regulations shaping various industries across the country. This is a Dwayne Morris Government Strategies podcast, and your hosts are Ryan Stevens and Ryan DeMare. We could also be known as R-Squared. R-Squared, the Ryans. Um, I'm pretty much open to suggestions at this point. Um, I, I even might consider changing my last name to something with a D, so we can actually go by R two D two. Could do that. Yeah. Well. Anyways, uh, welcome to the inaugural podcast uh, from us at Dwayne Morris Government Strategies, uh, national lobbying firm um, with offices all across the country. Um, but we've been talking about doing this podcast for for a long time now. And, you know, we figured why not now? Um, there's a lot of stuff going on around the country, um, various, various issues going on facing different industries. So, why not uh, now as an opportunity to really, really give folks an opportunity to hear uh, from industry experts as to what these issues are, um, how they're tackling those issues in state capitals across the country. So, I'm excited.
1: Yeah, I think over the course of this, we're really going to have the opportunity to talk to a lot of, of interesting guests with a lot of different backgrounds and really get an insight into uh, their level of advocacy and what's important to some of the different associations and organizations around not just Pennsylvania, but around other parts of the country as well.
0: Yeah, and we're really excited for this inaugural episode. This week, we brought on uh, and had the chance to speak with Jerry Wozwick. Jerry's the executive director of The Pennsylvania School Bus Association. Jerry's a longtime friend of uh, both of the Ryans here. And I think we had a pretty good discussion. Uh, What do you think, Ryan?
1: Yeah, I think it was great having Jerry. I've certainly known him in a few different capacities that he's had professionally. And I think it was especially valuable getting his insight into working with the new gubernatorial administration, the Shapiro administration, that is, and how his organization is uh, advancing their agenda and. Also planning for some different challenges they may face down the road.
0: That being said, here's our interview with Jerry Wozwick. Enjoy. Welcome to the DMGS Back in Session podcast, Jerry. How are you?
2: I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me, Ryan.
0: How does it feel to be the very first guest on the Dwayne Morris podcast?
2: I mean. Considering uh, how long we've been talking about doing a podcast, uh, I think that it's very exciting. And actually, you know, it's just fun to kind of talk about the industry. Um, I think that this is going to be a pretty successful podcast. I'm looking forward to listening in the future, of course. So I think that this is going to be a lot of fun. uh, And I have to say, thanks, guys, for having me, uh, especially as the first guest.
0: Yeah, no, we're we're glad to have you on. And before we before we really get into things, uh, all school bus related. Um, do have a pretty pretty important question for you. Uh so we're recording this podcast on Wednesday, August 30th. Uh Jerry, how are the Philadelphia Eagles gonna do this year?
2: Um As you know, Philadelphia is the city of conference champions, and I can't see how that won't continue going into this year. I think that Howie Roseman has put together arguably the best team he's ever had in his career uh, with uh, Philadelphia. Uh, So I've got pretty high hopes. I mean, I feel bad for any other fans of teams in the NFC East um, because uh, it's got, they've got a really rough year ahead of them.
0: Well, for, for our listeners sake, um, and I'm using plural because I assume by the time this comes out, we will have multiple listeners uh, tuning in to hear uh, Jerry be interviewed about all things school bus related, but, Uh, Just a little bit of background, Jerry and I and the other Ryan, all good friends and I'm the token New York Giants football fan. So if you uh, picked up on some, you know, little uh, subtle hints from Jerry there, that would, that would explain that.
2: (laughs) But we don't hold it against Brian Stevens, of course.
1: Yeah. Well, thank thank you, Jerry. Appreciate it. I do hold it against Ryan Stevens, uh, but Jerry follow up question to that. It is that time of year again, as Stevens mentioned, who are you going to pick in your first round? Uh, fantasy draft
2: well that's tough considering we draft in four hours um uh, i don't know what number i have uh but you know obviously without giving away any secrets jalen hurts is just gonna go off this year so gotta be ready for
1: that
0: i think that's a i think that's a reasonable uh thing to assume uh this this season but uh you know, I think when when people look and they see the Dwayne Morris podcast, they don't want to hear us talk football too much. So uh, we will we will kick things back uh, to our regular regularly scheduled program. Um, so, Jerry, you're, you know, you're obviously the executive director of the Pennsylvania School Bus Association. Uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got to the School Bus Association and then get into a little bit about the association itself. Uh, You know, what is the association? What does the association do? Um, Just some general background.
2: Yeah, yeah, no. Um, So uh, I I won't go into too much detail about myself. I'm sure people uh, don't really want to hear about that, of course. But no, I've been in the, uh, I've been in political campaigns for about 12 years or so. Um, I uh, had interned while I was in college uh, for a campaign, really enjoyed it. Uh, I was a history major at Lockhaven uh, University, uh, which is now Commonwealth University of Lockhaven, for those of keeping track of the pashi stuff. Um, and after I graduated, went back home and worked for uh, the Doylestown Acme, uh, my state representative, Marguerite Quinn, uh, who was a good family friend of mine, Said, hey, do you want to come out to Harrisburg, work in politics? And I said, absolutely. Uh, And that was about 10 years ago. And I've been, I was in campaigns ever since then. Worked on uh, campaigns all across the country, um, pretty much at all levels, uh, going down to, you know, I worked on a couple of township supervisor races in Virginia, um, and uh, all the way up to working on presidential campaigns. And uh, beginning of this year, I pretty much decided, while I very much enjoyed uh, campaigns and the uh, fast lifestyle, I yes, as we all do, um, uh, former campaign operatives that uh, are ready to move on. I heard about the opportunity with the Pennsylvania School Bus Association. So I've been in this position since February, and i got to tell you, it's been a lot of fun. I've had a lot of great opportunities to meet different people. Um, School Bus Association, they have been, uh, they were founded in 1980, Um, so they've been around for a good amount of time now, and uh, we currently have about 300 uh, members, and that is school bus contractors, and that also includes just industry partners, you know, um, uh, people that are kind of within the school bus transportation industry, um, but may not be exactly uh, transporting students on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, they could be involved in the sales, any kind of equipment, uh, you know, it's across the board, uh, runs the gamut. So uh, the PSBA, Pennsylvania, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later, Pennsylvania is unique in the sense that the majority of students in Pennsylvania are transported by private contractors. Um, actually about 80% of uh, all students are transported by private contractors. Um, And as a result, you know, not good with math here, but there's about 1.7 million students that are transported uh, to and from school uh, every day on school buses. Um, And uh, there's about 12,000 school buses that are on the road. Um, So obviously, we, (laughs) the Pennsylvania School Bus Association, our membership, does the vast majority of all that transportation. So, um, but as an association, in addition to kind of representing the legislative uh, goals, regulatory goals, et cetera, uh, we also do a ton of education um, and services for our membership uh, focused primarily on safety. That's the name of the game. The most important thing for us is getting students to school safely uh, on time. And we work with our membership to make sure that they are constantly made aware of changes they are constantly learning new techniques in providing safe transportation, and working to make sure that we are providing uh, a great environment for drivers. Then to also work in and so that they enjoy uh, the opportunity to take kids to school just as much as kids enjoy taking school buses. Well,
0: just to follow up on on public safety, I think I think this is a very important issue, and you know we we obviously do do as you know uh, do a little bit of work uh, as well in that realm. Um, school zone safety, but I feel like I've heard so many horror stories, um, especially since the COVID uh, pandemic, where speeding is a major, major problem in our country um, and in our Commonwealth here in Pennsylvania. But there's always a new story of a, a car passing a bus or hitting a bus. I mean, can you speak to some of those challenges that you guys are seeing right now?
2: Yeah. And, you know, I think that. Probably by the end of this, you know, I'm, I'm I'll sound like a broken record. I'm going to be hitting on a couple of things, but illegal passing is is one of those uh, top items. You know, um, obviously it's illegal in all fifty states to pass a school bus with their red lights flashing, with the stop arm out. However, that doesn't stop drivers. We actually did a study uh, back in 2022 in September of 2022. Um, and in that study, we actually found that uh, it, it's estimated that during a 180 day school year, 41.8 million illegal passing violations occur. Um, wow.
0: Wow. Yes. It's,
2: it's, it's, it's substantial. And what's sad is that people aren't actually aware uh, that they cannot pass a school bus. When the red lights are flashing, and the stop arm is engaged. Um, you know, while this may seem obvious to you know us, many people aren't don't realize that. Um, and since 2000, uh, I think it's since yeah since 2000, 51 students have uh, 51 children have lost their lives due to illegal passing. And this is one of those situations where you know it's uh, losing. Uh, one child is is tragic in something that is completely avoidable, but the simple fact that 51 students have lost their lives uh, is I mean is unconscionable. It's 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 terrible. So you know we, we we are we're working on that. There's legislation at the federal level to actually advance a public awareness campaign to the dangers of it, um, similar to uh, you know click it or ticket or uh, drive sober or get pulled over things right. like that. Um, but you know, then at the state level in Pennsylvania, um, and I'm sure you know we can talk about this more. But we, we have we've been we've been trying to get cameras on uh, school buses that will engage when the stop arm is uh, engaged, um, so that we can try and track down these violators, make sure that they are being punished for doing this. Because on top of this, this is not a, a data point that is kept off by PennDOT. PSP, uh, the state police, uh, local municipalities, things like that. So we're trying to find new ways. And we have legislation, it's House Bill 1284. And we're hoping that we can actually really cut down on some of this illegal passing and catch those violators.
1: Jerry, follow up question to that. Are there, uh, are there any states that you've noticed are a particularly good model for legislation such as that?
2: So, it's it's interesting because this is a mixed bag. This is something that I've actually been working on right now. We uh, we're working on legislation with State Senator Lisa Baker um, to try and catch repeat violators. As it currently stands, you know one of the one of the big issues is um, uh, the stopping point for when a school bus engages a flashing reds and stop arm. Uh, in Pennsylvania, it's 10 feet um, minimum that you must stop for a school bus. That's actually among the lowest in the country. Many other states are at 20, 25, and we're trying to get that increased, mostly out of a uh, purely public awareness campaign, just to make sure that people are aware, hey, you cannot pass a school bus illegally. Uh, it's And then across the country, it's all over the place. We have established ourselves as one of the more successful uh, school bus associations, uh, amongst contractors in the country, uh, because of the amount of legislative and advocacy work that we do. Um, so w- I would say that we're pretty well ahead of the curve. But until we start seeing these numbers uh, reduce, um, we can't say that you know our work is done at all.
0: Yeah, no that 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 makes sense. Um, and I, and I think you've touched on it a little bit here. But what are like what are some of the other issues that you think the industry is facing? And what are some of the ways that the Commonwealth and maybe, maybe the industry as a whole can, what can they do to overcome those challenges?
2: That's a great question. And, you know, it's, it's interesting when we start talking about the different issues that we're facing. One of the biggest issues that we face is the school bus driver shortage. I, every this year, I've done uh, probably about 15 media hits across the Commonwealth just related to school bus driver shortages. Um, and it's, you know, some regions are doing better. Uh, suburban districts uh, obviously do better with having school bus drivers. But rural and urban are where we're kind of seeing the, big, the greatest uh, shortage of drivers. Um, and what's interesting is this was actually a problem that had begun prior to the pandemic. But was then exacerbated by the pandemic, and came uh, it became big in the news. everyone all of a sudden started realizing it. And because of the pandemic, we were actually able to recognize it and begin putting into uh, begin establishing a plan on how best to address it. So we worked with the Pennsylvania House of Representatives and passed HR fifteen, which was a House resolution which I believe had, nine points um that we were trying to focus in on um, you know these included uh increasing incentives and pay to drivers you know um uh increasing the funding formula uh making sure that the people that drivers are better trained and educated on de-escalation tactics techniques uh on buses with uh students working to address Uh, homeless students or uh, transient students um, working to kind of really just get into the nuts and bolts about what are the barriers to getting drivers in seats and what we can do to best address to make sure that they actually stay in the seats and you know and that that includes working with PennDOT working with uh, federal regulators working with you know uh, our local legislators and county county officials uh, to try and find new ways to really address that we're getting there you know it's it's going to be a process um and we've done everything that we can kind of do on our end but we are then we are going back to the legislature and to our regulators um specifically pendon to try and find new ways to really address this and get drivers in seats
0: yeah no i think i think that's a good point jerry um You know, saying that the school bus driver shortage has existed before COVID is 100% accurate. Uh, As you know, I was on the school board uh, about 10 years ago now, and I remember uh, even back then, uh, a decade ago, you know, that was a major, major issue where the school district was then, at the time, uh, paying for drivers to go and get their CDLs. So now, 10 years later, the situation is uh, way worse <laughs> unfortunately but did see some positive uh, news a couple weeks ago i uh, saw an announcement from governor shapiro regarding uh, cdl tests in pennsylvania and i'm sure i'm sure you were uh, involved in that so do you want to tell us a little bit about that uh recent development
2: yeah and i was really yeah, this was pretty exciting for a number of our contractors you know as i had said you know, our our membership is pretty interesting and you know, I neglected to mention that a lot of these contractors have been in business, some of them for over 75 years. They have been around for quite some time, uh, transporting students. And one of the main issues that we kept finding with uh, getting and recruiting with recruiting and retaining drivers when getting your CDL. There's a number of testing requirements that involve uh, what we call under-the-hood inspection. And that means that you have to understand some of a lot of the uh, mechanics of the school bus. And in the event that you actually kind of need to do some work on the bus, you know what you're talking about. You know what the issue at hand is. Well, the problem with that is that a school bus driver, in the event that a mechanical failure occurs, while they are transporting students, uh, the school bus driver has to remain on the bus. It's a safety issue. They have to remain you know, making sure that the students are okay, that they are safe, they're staying in their seats, they are behaving themselves. Another school bus is sent to pick up those students. They get onto the other school bus and on that original school bus is also a mechanic. That mechanic is there to try and fix the, the school bus. So, and we'd pass that along to um, PennDOT. And I have to give Governor Shapiro a lot of credit here. Um, even when he was running, uh, he reached out to the School Bus Association, and, and we were able to kind of lay out a number of these things, particularly pertain- pertaining to PennDOT. And one of the things that we were able to actually get accomplished is what we're calling, uh, or what PennDOT refers to as a CDL modernization. Uh, or the allowing of the K restriction on CDL. What that does is essentially is it takes away a number of the under the hood requirements uh, so that drivers do not need to know that as part of their testing, because we found that to be a major barrier uh, to keeping drivers in seats or getting them in seats because they just didn't have the knowledge needed to get through that. Our whole goal, once again, as I said, broken record, it's all about safety. We want to make sure that we're getting kids safely to school, and we were able to work with PennDOT and with Governor Shapiro's administration to reduce uh, some of these uh, items, some of these requirements, without sacrificing any of the safety measures for the students. There have been a little a couple of hiccups so far with the implementation and the uh, rolling out of this, but this is a huge first step, and we feel pretty confident that this is going to be This will be tremendous in moving forward and helping keep drivers in seats.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like there's been a lot of progress in the first year of the Shapiro administration. Um, And this this, I don't know if this is a fair question to ask, but, uh, you know, with you uh, starting your position in February and uh, Governor Shapiro being sworn in in January. But, uh, you know, obviously there's a there's a new administration in town here in Harrisburg. Um, what has it been like, uh, navigating the new administration and, and PennDOT with some new leadership with Secretary Carroll?
2: We are really, really fortunate with a number of the, uh, appointees, um, through Governor Shapiro, you know, as I mentioned, while he was running, he reached out to our current president, Sean McGlinch, who, uh, works for a craft, uh, bus. And he, uh, he, he gets a call and says, Hey, you know, um, uh, not Governor Shapiro at the time, would like to sit down with you um, and just kind of discuss some items that are related to the school bus industry. He was expecting, okay, I'm going to get a staffer, I'm going to get senior staff, might be a couple of people. No, it was a one-on-one. And it was something that through all the years of the PSBA, again, going back to 1980, when talking to the past presidents, they were never afforded an opportunity like that. Secretary Carroll is uh, obviously... Uh, former state representative, and uh, we have worked with him for years uh, just because of his uh, knowledge of the transportation industry. And he is close friends with our uh, vice president and uh, the president elect um, in the next term, Aaron Sabkowski who uh, operates uh, Pocono Transportation uh, up in northeast PA. So, you know, it, it, it's been pretty incredible. We have quarterly calls with um, the Pennsylvania Department of Education. We have probably monthly calls with PennDOT. I am on the Motor Carriage Safety Advisory, which works with a number of other uh, trucking uh, and large or heavy diesel um, vehicles. And, you know, uh, another aspect, then too, that many people don't actually realize is we work really closely with labor and industry. And we have quarterly calls with them then too. So I can truly say working with Governor Shapiro's administration for our industry has been quite a bit of breath of fresh air. And that also includes the auditor, General Tim Dvor, who has been phenomenal and been a partner to us, uh, unlike the previous auditor general.
1: So Jerry, obviously in uh, any type of advocacy, being proactive is just as important to being reactive, if not more in long-term planning. So are there any issues that you're anticipating? The industry might face in the next 10 years or so that you're actively preparing for now and if so how are you preparing for them yeah um that's
2: a great one and you know i, I won't touch on obviously the school bus shortage you know it's said i talked on that illegal passing of course th- those are those are the two big things that obviously we face um one that i didn't mention um and i really uh is going to kind of continue to grow is the electric school bus movement obviously President Biden and his administration has made this a key point in his, uh, you know, in the continuing green efforts. And, you know, we recognize that electric vehicles are, you know, they quite possibly are going to be the future of vehicles. But we have been working diligently, especially in Pennsylvania, with our legislature to kind of be a partner through this. And see how this kind of plays out. One of the biggest issues that we find is that electric vehicles, uh, I'm sorry, electric school buses, as they currently stand, are not suited to work in every school district across Pennsylvania. The limitations that they have uh, really prevent, you know, the necessary transportation needs. You know, it, to put it probably simply, a electric school bus has a range of between 100 and 150 miles, approximately. You know, it depends on elevation, That depends on the route, depends on stopping, et cetera, all that kind of stuff. Sure, yeah. Um, A clean diesel school bus is about 600 miles. And propane, which has shown to be, have almost similar emissions to electric, Has a range of about 400 miles, and that's not getting into all of the issues that you know a school bus goes through in a day. I'm sorry, in a school year. Uh, I don't need to tell you guys. You know, we always joke the four seasons in a day. An electric vehicle, electric school bus. We've we've seen some studies that actually show that when in cold temperatures, the battery capacity of an electric school bus is reduced by 40 percent, and You know, that's not getting into infrastructure issues. That's not getting into, you know, any of the safety concerns that are had with having electric vehicles, because, you know, you need one of the big things with the School Bus Association. We don't take a stance on any kind of uh, combustion engine or, you know, any kind of fuel. Our goal is just to educate you, educate our members on all forms. And, you know, when we get into electric, we're, we find a lot of issues. with. Them. Now, all of that is to say, we have a number of contractors that have introduced uh, electric buses into the state, and there's varying, you know, uh, they've, they've seen some great things, they've seen some negative things, but we're just kind of testing it, learning it as we go.
1: Yeah, I can imagine uh, knowing how big the state is and how different certain areas are, that especially you get up along in the northern tier and in the northwestern, much more rural parts of the state, that that would be a significant issue.
2: It, it is, you know, and it's, uh, I, I was talking with one of our contractors. He has, I believe it's the fourth largest geographic district in the state. And one of his routes that he has to have is, uh, I believe he said 120 miles in a day. I mean, that's incredible, you know, that that's the kind of miles that you have to put on. Well, if you and that's in Fayette County, too. So let's just say you go out and you run 60 miles in the morning, you get it, you get your bus back. It's a cold day. You don't know if that bus is going to be charged in time to do the return route in the afternoon. So that's a prime example. Uh, And that's just in Fayette County Um, and even some of these suburban districts. I mean, I know Pittsburgh's introduced a lot of a lot of electric school. Or I'm sorry. Pittsburgh is in the process of introducing electric school buses. But anyone that knows Pittsburgh knows how hilly it is. Those buses weigh more. And that's not good on brakes. You know, that's not good in these poor temperatures. And we're going to see what happens uh, when the salt starts to corrode uh, on these electric buses. Who knows? The rock salt. So,
0: Well, I'm sure a lot of a lot of folks have been keeping up with a lot of the federal funding being awarded for electric vehicle infrastructure and Pennsylvania was just announced a couple of weeks ago that I think it was 54 projects across 35 counties uh, were selected to receive uh, some sort of funding for EV charging infrastructure through the bipartisan uh, infrastructure law. Was any of that funding or is any of that funding electric buses or is that strictly for ev infrastructure
2: so this is where we're kind of getting into the gray area of electric vehicles and where the planning hasn't totally hit i think with when it relates to all sorts of electric the biggest issue that we're finding is that while that electric school buses are kind of the with the first round of grants for electric school buses, there was no funding that was allocated for the infrastructure that was needed. On the second round of grants, it was then included. Um, As it currently stands, that funding that you're referring to is not included for school buses. However, from my understanding that it will be included for public transportation, but obviously we're in our own little world. We we don't, we aren't, we aren't uh, fortunate enough to kind of be a part of that. You know, it's it's it, now related to the electric grid, electric planning. Uh, you know, I know that there are some bills that I think are still in committee in Pennsylvania related to kind of creating a planning commission of sorts on how to establish this. Um, which we have expressed that we'd like to be a part of. You know, it's we want to sit at the table to explain what the limitations are currently, because if we would like to implement them, uh, then there needs to be a plan in place, and we want to be able to you know, explain to our legislators what can and cannot be done and the challenges that already exist prior to introducing something as massive as changing the, the the grid, the infrastructure.
1: Yeah, Jerry, I have a follow-up question to that, and this kind of goes off a point that you raised earlier. You work with a lot of stakeholders. You have DOT you have DOE, you have the Auditor General's Office, you have your members. How do you approach that? How do you balance um, working with all those different stakeholders to effectively make sure everybody's in the loop and uh, on the same page as much as they can be?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, one of the uh, biggest things, and this is something that we're fortunate enough, just with being in existence for so long, that we've kind of we've established a lot of these relationships, and our communication is. Uh, very very strong, you know. It's when when there is an issue, um, you know. It's I'll I'll use this as an example. Uh, so Monday, uh, which was uh, August twenty eighth, PennDOT rolled out, uh, as I had mentioned before, the CDL modernization and these under the hood uh, changes. Well, unfortunately, the modernization was able to go through, but PennDOT is having some technological issues on their back end. So these uh, school bus, we kind of use the term school bus only CDL, uh, they were not able to roll it out in time. Um, Well, we uh, probably got about five calls from PennDOT uh, from varying levels, including a call from uh, uh, the secretary um, just saying, hey, you know, this is what's going on. This is how we plan to fix it. This is where we're at. So that we were able to communicate that to our membership. What was interesting was our membership was already aware of it in many cases um, because they work with their local legislators or they work with you know local PennDOT uh, agents uh, on an um, hourly basis many times so it's it has been you know it, it was it's been many years in the making but it's continuing that we make sure that we've got. Um, you know, that we're, we've got power, that we try and have a voice in Harrisburg and then also at the national. But there is a national association that we kind of work through on that on a more day to day basis.
1: And I'm curious on that front too. How often do you collaborate with counterparts in other states?
2: So I have, we have a standing meeting once a month with um, my counterparts, for lack of a better term, in other states. So it's normally it'll be either the president of the association or the executive director. And we kind of just run through different things that we're kind of seeing. And also, this is an opportunity to kind of implement new tactics, new strategies to try and, you know, solve things. Uh, we talk about the school bus driver shortage. Uh, I was talking with uh, my counterpart up in Massachusetts, and he we were we were having conversations on different uh, strategies on how to get more drivers. I don't think this should come as much of a surprise. Many of our drivers um, are retirees and also uh, many of them have actually uh, are retired military. Um, So what he did was he actually uh, what their association did was they actually started working with um, a couple of diners in the area so that on those, you know, how you would have the advertisements on the placemat at a diner. Yeah, sure. It would, it would be actually a like a classified ad looking for drivers. at these diners, and they said that they had a lot of success. And then top that off, then they started working with um, VFWs. Um, they started working with you know just different you know uh, retired military groups. To try and get it out there that these that these opportunities exist, um, and they had a lot of success, uh, which was you know it, it was something that seems so uh, incredibly obvious now, but at the time it was like oh this is this is brilliant this is a great idea. So you know it's it's things like that that you know we're able to kind of work together uh, to try and find the solutions.
0: Yeah, I think collaboration fosters uh, some good ideas and you know when it comes to I feel like an association that that you know you're obviously a part of having uh, I would assume 49 other counterparts or however many states have similar associations uh, there's no sense in reinventing the wheel right and if somebody is implementing a program that is successful why not give it a shot if it's going to help solve some of the problems that your that your members face
2: spot on uh you know and it's actually I'm kind of glad you raised that point then too um uh so pennsylvania i mean i don't need to tell you guys this or for any of the pennsylvania listeners pennsylvania is unique um in many many ways jerry i have Uh, never
0: heard that before in my life
2: (laughs) right yeah you know (laughs) it's uh it's it's something else and um i think that we all understand that on so many very levels um As for school bus, we are one of the uh, more unique states uh, because most states, um, they do not have privately owned contractors that actually transport students. Um, Most states, it is entirely district run. Um, In many states, it is primarily, uh, it might be owned uh, and run completely by the state. Um, uh, In other states, you know, it's, Sometimes a state will have one national firm uh, that does all of the contracting. Um, Pennsylvania is unique. We've got mom and pop businesses that, again, have been in business for upwards of you know 80 years that do this, that know the district, you know, that know all of uh, the different routes. Um, one one of my favorite stories, um, and our, it's our vice president, his mother. Um, actually transported three generations of students, uh, so they would actually know they they they'd get on uh, they'd get on the bus and you know it's like I'm a Sepkowski I'm blah blah blah's granddaughter and it's just wow that's incredible you get to see this so it's it, I mean having that also um, having that knowledge of the community is another reason why we are so successful because. Our drivers, our contractors—they are ingrained and just as much a part of the community and the school and the students' education as anybody else that you might see at a PTA meeting.
0: No, I think that makes sense, and uh, you know, th- this has been a pretty insightful conversation. Um, you know, we're we're good friends, so we we've talked quite frequently, and I've learned I've learned a lot about the school bus uh, transportation industry over the last couple of months in our conversations. And I can tell that you like what you do. Um, You're really invested in in the association on behalf of your members. Um, Where can our listeners find out more information on the PSPA?
2: Absolutely. Uh, So we have a uh, pretty active social media uh, account, Uh, of course, on Facebook and Instagram, um, which is the PA School Bus Association. Um, I would probably say though, however, our uh, most active and um, involved social media is our LinkedIn, which is also PA School Bus Association. Um, and then we've got a couple of websites, uh, which paschoolbus.org, uh, .org, which uh, it has all the information about uh, PA School Bus Association. Um, but also, if you have any interest in learning more about becoming a driver, and actually we kind of just lay out all the different things about what it takes to be a driver. We have created a job website um, for drivers. It's called YouBehindTheWheel.com, um, which just kind of lays out: Hey, if you want to, if you want to be a driver, this is what you need to know. Um, and uh, it also gets you connected with different contractors in your area uh, that are hiring. Uh, so you know, if if there is a listener that's interested in learning more, driving. You know, it's a great opportunity. We uh, are so very focused on making sure that uh, we are uh, not a barrier to education, but uh, the we quite literally open the doors to students uh, for their education.
0: cool, thanks, Jerry. Um, and if if our viewers, I guess can can take uh, well, a couple takeaways here, but um, you know, top two takeaways for me, like you just said, if anybody knows anybody or is interested in becoming a certified school bus driver, uh, follow the links that Jerry provided and um, obviously we want to keep our keep our kids safe, keep our school buses safe. So if you see a school bus stopped with the, uh, the flashing lights, <laughs> make sure you stop. Do not pass the school bus. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep, exactly. You know, it's uh, when school is back in session now. Uh, There are many more students, uh, many more school buses out on the road, uh, students at bus stops, so uh, please just remain cautious, remain careful, and uh, school bus safety week coming up in October, so uh, be prepared. We're going to make sure that there's going to be a number of uh, police out on the road uh, checking and making sure that we get those violated.
1: All right, Jerry, so we saved the hardest question for last. have to ask this of anybody from the Collar counties, the greater Philadelphia area. What's your favorite cheesesteak place, and what's your order? Ooh, answer answer um, carefully.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, there is no such thing as a correct answer in this situation. Um, and also to that point, I have been uh, a central Pennsylvania resident for uh, ten years. So, uh, <laughs> um, but no, it's I grew up. Um, so the answer is native Jackson. The native
0: answer is Jackson County. House in Harrisburg, right? <laughs> <laughs>
2: So I was going to say my, my, my central Pennsylvania uh, cheesesteak places is, is Jackson house. I mean, that place is phenomenal. And if you're in Harrisburg, you, you have to go, but uh, plan on waiting. Um, no, I mean, I grew up, you know, taking the R5 out of Doylestown into the city, going to Jim's cheesesteak on South sadly burnt down. Um, but that was always my go-to place uh, when I was younger uh, it was just cheesesteak, um, whiz, um, no onions. Now that I'm a little older, uh, I will tell you, things have changed. Gotta have the onions. Have
1: to and have the onions.
2: Mayo. I know, it sounds we, crazy. We could,
0: we could do a whole podcast episode on this topic right here. Mayo.
2: Uh, I'm telling you, it... I I have been advocating. I honestly I could start a uh, probably a pack just against mayo with all of the mayo hate that I have spread for years. And now here I am. I tell you, a cheesesteak, whiz and mayo is divine.
1: Is there an you origin know, j- story to that? That's that's not on a menu.
2: I, you know what? I am i don't know who it was that originally – well, actually, I do know who it was. It was my uh, best friend from high school who lives in uh, Philadelphia still. Um, he one day – and this has got to be, I mean, almost 15 years ago at this point. He got mayo on a cheesesteak. I was telling him that that's the grossest thing I've ever heard. And so, yeah, Brian and Ryan, whenever you guys want to have a podcast dedicated to – Why you should or should not have mayo on a cheesesteak. I am there. I'm in on it.
0: You're the third person in the last month that has told me that they put mayo on their cheesesteaks. And I just might have to, before our next episode, uh, I may have to try this out and let our listeners know how it is.
2: You got to. Don't knock it till you try it. It's really good.
1: All right. There you go, everybody. Something to look forward to for next time. Thanks so much, Jerry. All right. Well, that was our conversation with Jerry Wozwick. Thanks everybody for tuning into the first back in session podcast with Ryan Demarin, Ryan Stevens from Dwayne Morris Government Strategies. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. You can also follow us online on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter at DMGS LLC and online at www.dmgs.com.
0: Yeah. We hope you enjoyed our first interview. We're really excited for for future guests, um, you know, we plan on having folks from all over the country, from state legislators to folks from different associations and organizations uh, that are really trying to effectuate different change, um, you know, in their individual state capitals. So we're, we're really excited. Um, and yeah, stay tuned for our episode two when we will be back in session.